Amen. It was an awesome weekend uh, with students, and we were just excited to have that chance. If you participated, real quick, just to kind of give you an idea, if you participated with D-NOW, students, leaders, helpers, host homes, would you stand with us right now? And that's not, that's not everybody. We've got students. We've got about 10 to 12 students that left in our, in our student praise band leading worship with our kids. So just give it up for those leaders, those students, one more time. We've been doing this. This is my fifth D now, and we're excited to have a chance to really, we, our heartbeat this year was really to bring, that, to bring what God was doing in the weekend and let that overflow into our Sunday morning service because there's so often, there's so many awesome things that happen during the D now weekend, during our Disciple Now weekend, and, and it kind of can get lost sometimes when we come in Sunday morning, just a regular service, and so we have our, so we wanted to recognize our students, but we also, Jackie, Watts was our speaker. You saw him in the blue shirt uh, on the video. He was our speaker for the weekend. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, as he's just, I tell everybody this, the impact that he's made uh, on my life. Ten years ago, he was there. Uh, he didn't have to take me in. He took our family in, ministered to us. One of the reasons I'm still in ministry uh, today, but he had the chance to uh, minister to our students, and he's actually going to be sharing this morning. Pastor of Fellowship Church down in Madison, Florida. I uh, served on staff for with student as student pastor for ten years. Is that right? Ten years there, and he's been pastor there for seven or eight, around right around there. So been at that church for eighteen years now, uh, serving and ministering, loving Jesus, uh, and just the example he was. So I want y'all to welcome Jackie Watts as he comes to share what God has on his heart. Amen. Love you. Love you. Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be here this morning. Um, I want to thank the, the guys on staff that I've met. Uh, Rich, where are you at, buddy? I want to thank you. Hey, thank you for the music this morning. Ministered in my heart as we sang to the Lord and everybody who served up here with music. Thank you. Um, I got to meet Toby this morning, and uh, it's good to meet you, brother. And uh, uh, then, of course, I met interns and, and other folks that are involved, and Hannah's been helping a huge way. And her husband Josh and I can mention of uh, just a bunch of other names. I met Jimmy. Where's Jimmy at? And his uh, fine, fine guy that's impacting the church here and helping lead. Um, and then I met a bunch of students with a bunch of Bible names. So uh, you know, I, I met a, I met a Micah, and I met a, you know, we could go on and on and on. Met, met a, a bunch of students, and and uh, you students, you matter. And the reason why I'm here this weekend is because you matter. And uh, the college students and other adults that are pouring into students' lives, I, w I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for the impact that you're having. Um, I'll show you a quick picture of my family, uh, maybe, if, if we've got it. But this is, uh, there we go. This is my family, uh, my beautiful bride, Tanya, of 24 years. And then my two boys, Caleb, the oldest, and Joshua, the youngest. We just pulled their names out of the hat. And uh, those, are, those are my boys, and I love them very much, and I'm... I'm proud of them most of the time, and uh, <laughs> I was a youth pastor for 17 years, and it wasn't because I was using that as a stepping stone. I, I, I did it because I love students, and I, I believe in them. I don't think they're just the church of tomorrow. I think they're the church of today, and I believe that, that God wants to grow them and use them, and they need to know why they believe what they believe. In church, we need to know why we believe what we believe, and I'm convinced of this. Josh McDowell said this years ago, he said, he said, my heart cannot rejoice in what my mind rejects. Think about that. 
In other words, if I'm not compelled that it's true, I'm not going to be passionate to share that it's true. And we need to be able to share with people why we believe in the message of Jesus the Messiah. So it's a great privilege to be here. I've known Henry for a long time and Kayla for a long time, and they are precious. Got to stay with them and spend some time eating and hanging out. And uh, I got to tell you, you have a, you have a fine uh, student pastor, a small group leader. He is uh, he's one of the finest young guys that I know, and uh, I'm grateful for him. And of course, there's Kayla, and it's you know it's said that uh, it's said behind every successful man there is one surprised woman, and she's that. So. Uh, we're glad that you're here. I don't know if you know this, but it was an amazing way that God brought Henry and Kayla together. And you know, he told me the story. I'll see if I got it right, Henry. But he told me the story of, of dating for quite some time. He didn't kiss her until the night he asked her to marry him. Did you know that? Did you know that? Isn't that the right story? I think it's the right story. Anyway, uh, Kay, uh, Henry, Henry prayed that night as he tells me the story. And he prayed, and it went something like this. He prayed, Father, Father, up above, should I kiss the one I love? And do you know that God responded to him? As I remember this story, Henry, I think I'm telling it right. But if God responded to him, and he heard these words, sinner, sinner down below, pucker up and let her go. <laughs> we're glad that happened. Or maybe not. But we're glad that you're together and love you. Um, I also heard about a, a granddaughter that was sitting on her grandfather's lap. And he was reading the newspaper, and he wasn't paying much attention to her, but she was paying a whole lot of attention to him. And she was noticing on his face all the wrinkles and, and the gray hair and all that. And she began to look at her grandfather and she began to rub his face and feel the wrinkles across his face. She was looking at him very intently. He wasn't really sure what was going on. Finally, he put the newspaper down. He said, honey, what are you doing? And she said, Grandpa, did God make you? And he said, Yes, sweetie, God made me. It was a long time ago, but God made me. And she felt her face, and she said, Grandpa, did God make me? He said, oh, yes, sweetie, he made you. And I remember coming to see you birthed, and, you know, it wasn't too long ago, but God made you. She looked over at him, felt his face, felt her face, and she said, God's doing a lot better job nowadays, isn't he? (laughs) I, uh, I grew up in a local church in Sarasota, Florida, down below Tampa. And uh, our church wasn't large, uh, but our church loved people, and my pastor loved us. And my parents were incredible examples and continue to be. My dad just turned 81. My mom is going to turn 71 in April, and they are my heroes and heroine uh, in my life. I'm super grateful for them. And I'm grateful for God, how God used them in my life because I looked at their life and I thought, I want some of that. I want to be that kind of dad. I want to marry that kind of lady. I want to treat people the way that they treat people. I want to use the language that they use. I want to do the things in my home that I see them doing. Fine examples. I'm so, so, so grateful. And so uh, a couple of years ago, I got the privilege to go speak at my home church during the homecoming. And, of course, I know a lot of those folks. And I noticed something. I noticed that the people who used to teach me when I was a baby are a lot older they were a lot grayer. Of course, I'm getting older and grayer too. But you know what I know? I know that those people were incredibly valuable, and the age isn't the issue um, of, of whether somebody is valuable or not, and how good looking or how good in shape or whatever. What matters is what's going on on the inside of somebody. And I'm so grateful for the maturity of those people and the way they invested in my life. And so I guess, first of all, 
the privilege that I get today to share with you is one to, um, to say thank you for making an eternal difference in the students and the children and the young adults here. And some of you, you might be frustrated because you've been trying and you've been pressing on and you're not seeing the fruit. Keep on keeping on. There is no telling how much Bible I know. There is no telling what kind of examples that I saw that continue to impact me because of a lady by the name of Miss Mildred or a man by the name of Mr. Sonny that spent time with me and taught me when I was little and when I became a young teenager and beyond. So church, I want to say to you, thank you if you're investing in the lives of students. But secondly, I'm here today to try to challenge you and encourage you to complete the mission. To complete the mission. And if we're going to complete the mission that Jesus gave us, we got to know what the mission is. Is that right? I like to interact with people. Is that right? Okay. we got to know what the mission is. When I was in middle school, I played basketball and our basketball team, our boys' basketball team, we always had to wait on the girls' basketball team to play, and quite frankly, not many of them were very good. So every now and then, the score would go into double digits, but otherwise, you know, there's a whole lot of shooting and not a whole lot of score, and it wasn't very impressive to us as guys. And, um, you know, some of the girls were good, and some of them were certainly good-looking, but they didn't score a whole lot of points, so we, didn't, we weren't impressed by the basketball. But I will never forget one of those games because... Our girls were blowing the other team away. It was like 10 to 2 or something. I mean, it was a wipeout, you know. And, and while it was happening, they put, a, they put one of our girls in that never got in. I kind of watched because she wasn't that good. A rebound came, and the ball got passed out to her, and she took it, and she began to dribble down the court. And she dribbled past foe and friend alike, and people were watching her as she went, and she went towards the goal, and it was like it went into slow motion as she shot the ball and it went towards the rim and it hit the rim and punched the backboard and rolled around the rim and went in and me and my buddies we were blown away we were totally in what was going on and we're looking and we're watching as the ball goes in the other team's goal (laughs) true story see here's the problem if we don't know the right goal, we could shoot at whatever and say that's it. You know, it's like Charlie Brown when he shoots the arrow at the wall and then he grows, goes and draws a target around it, right? And Linus or one of them comes up and says, Charlie Brown, why are you doing it that way? He says, it's easier to hit the target this way. We've been given a target. We've been given a mission. And this morning I want to talk with you about that mission. Is. And you might say, Jackie, everybody knows what that mission is and I'm convinced that that's not true. I'm convinced that that many churches, what we do, we're shooting at the wrong goal. Because many churches, our goal is this, check this out, our goal is, you can be asked, it, this happens all the time, well, how many, how many people are at your church? One guy said it this way, uh, Doug Fields, a youth pastor from Saddleback years ago, he said, what would that be like if people came up to you and said, uh, he says, people come up to me and go, hey, how, how's your family? And he goes, five. Like five people in his family, get it? Listen to me. It's not about the number of people if the number of people aren't accomplishing the mission that Jesus has called us to do. All we're doing is we're filling seats with, with warm bodies if we're not accomplishing the mission Jesus calls us to do. Now, I think every person matters, and so if numbers matter because people matter, then okay. But we could say, well, we've got a pile of people. Okay, is that accomplishing the mission? How about this? Churches, many times they judge their health by the amount of giving, the amount of money that's coming in. 
And I think you can look at these factors of how many people are involved and how is the giving and all that, but is that the goal? Is that the measure that Jesus told us to use? No, no. You know what some people think? They think if our music is good, if I like it, if it's something that I can worship to, if it's hitting the target for me, win, right? And so a lot of churches, their goal, their measure is to go, are people happy? Are people giving? Are they inviting friends? And some of those things can be markers, but they're not the ultimate marker. The mission is much greater than that. In 2013, I was compelled to teach a series with our church called The Mission. And we spent many weeks talking about this, but I want to walk you through this. And I want to ask you a question. I want to do a little bit of interaction, and we'll be as quick as we can be. But, but I, want to, I want to ask you to do this. I'm going to give you about a minute, and with some people around you, we'll do a couple times like this. I want you to answer this question. It's going to shoot on the screen. Here's the question. What is missions? What is missions? Just talk amongst yourself. You might go, that's weird. We don't, I don't know if you do that, but we're going to today, okay? So I can get away with stuff, and I can leave. It's no problem. So you just talk amongst yourself with a couple of three, three or four people. What is missions? When you think of missions, what do you think of? Go. I'll be back on in just a second. <coughs> Got it figured out? What is missions? Got it? Let me tell you what it was for me growing up. Uh, growing up, I, I've, I'm, I've been a part of a Southern Baptist church all my life, and um, my, my church, we, we talked about missions. I was in RAs back in the day, and we talked about missions, and we had missionaries come in and tell us about missions, and my view of, mission, of missions was this. One, we're going to hear from a missionary I've never met, and we're going to give to a missionary I've never met that's going to go impact people that I'll never meet until heaven. Now, that's part of what missions, I think, is about, is that we're caring for people we might not meet until heaven, and we're given to that process. But then, years later, that changed for me, because, see, at that point, I had never been on a short-term mission. Our church didn't encourage people to do that. This was years and years and years ago. And then I came to the church that I currently function at, in, in the position that I'm at. I was a youth pastor there, and I was privileged to take students with me, and I got to go to, to Haiti three times. And I saw genuine need, and I was able to hang out with the church in Haiti, and uh, it, was, it was a great privilege that I had. And my view of missions changed because missions wasn't just about giving to a missionary I've never met, to people I'll never meet until heaven. Now, like I saw faces attached to missions, you see? And there were faces overseas, different color, different background, different language that mattered just like I did, and missions became, became something about people overseas, Right? And then many of us, we, we think of missions, and we might think of an event where we, we put on a large event, and we share Christ with the people, and we bring in an evangelist or whatever the thing is, and, and we think of that as missions. But here's what I'd throw out to you. All that's part of the mission, but that's not the mission in and of itself. It's not the mission in and of itself. And so... I realized there were other things I could do. You know, I could give towards starving children. And my wife and I give outside of the giving we give to our church. And we give to, we give to several organizations that help feed children, educate children, share the gospel with children that we won't meet until heaven, probably. And again, that's all part of it. But that's, 
It's bigger than that. It's about caring for hurting people right here. It's about investing in people right here. But it's, it's bigger than that. You see, here's the deal. Missions is more than a trip. Missions is more than just giving financially. The mission, according to Jesus, we want to talk about today. Now, have you gotten these post-it notes already? Okay, we're going to use those, but not yet. Just be ready. We're going to use those towards the end, and it will be an important, important part. If anyone knows what missions is, it's the Lord Jesus. Would you agree? I mean, think about it. All the things we just talked about, Jesus did. He fed hungry people, like, you know, incredible fast food, feeding 5,000 from just little kids, right? Feed 5,000 plus and 4,000 plus. I mean, Jesus knew what it was like to feed hungry people. Jesus cared for people. He healed all kinds of diseases. Jesus loved people nobody else loved, like lepers and people who had been in prostitution and tax collectors. Jesus cared about people. Jesus shared the message uh, uh, that he came to bring to people. And then ultimately, Jesus died on the cross to make payment for people, rose from the dead, is going to return one day, all because of the mission, right? So... What is that mission that Jesus gave himself up for? Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Now, here's the danger. When we do this, as soon as I say Matthew 28, many of you think of the great what? Commission. And we're like, oh, I know this. I know what's going to happen. But listen, I hope that you'd read this today with fresh eyes. I hope you'd read this today, maybe the first time hearing it, just like the disciples heard it. Matter of fact, I want to pray for you right now and pray for me too. Lord, I'm asking you to do what I can't do. I'm asking you to stir hearts. I'm asking you to open minds. And I'm asking you to use your scripture, Lord, to penetrate the deepest part of our soul. For those who know you, God, I pray that they would want to know you deeper and share you more. For those who don't know you, Lord, that you would draw them to you, convict them of their sin like you've done with me and so many others, and show them that you came to make full payment for their sin. I ask that in the mighty name. Of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, we'll back up a little bit into verse 16, and here's what happens. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Here's why, because Jesus had died, and he told the, the women that his disciples needed to go to Galilee, that he was going to talk with them there. So they make a 60-mile journey. It's going to take a while. This is the area that Jesus did a lot of ministry. Galilee is where Nazareth was. They make this 60-mile journey, and they went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Watch this, verse 11. I'm sorry, 17. And when they saw him, they did what? They worshiped him. Now, this is interesting, but some, help me, some doubted. Some doubted. What did they doubt? Evidently, they doubted that this was Jesus. Evidently, they doubted that he really rose from the dead. But can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the scene as we approach the mountain, and, and some of us have not seen Jesus yet. We've heard, supposedly, he's resurrected from the dead, but we've not seen him yet. And when he shows up, people begin to worship. They begin to fall down on their knees to this man who has done incredible things. And others kind of sit and are looking. Is it really him? Is it really him? And then Jesus opens his mouth and communicates. And I wonder how many of them at a distance maybe had trouble, a little trouble seeing him. And they said, that sounds like him. It does look like him. Could it be him? these doubters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that there was a point that 500 people saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Some scholars think this was the moment that 500 collectively together saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. I don't know. It's a good thought. But I'm guessing that some of their doubts faded away when Jesus said these words. Listen to what he says. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given 
to me. Did you know 500 years before that, Daniel wrote some incredible words that many people don't understand? Many people don't understand the significance of these words from Daniel chapter 7. Look at this. Daniel saw a vision. He said, in this vision, behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. By the way, Jesus used of himself all the time. He called himself the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given the glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Did you know that when Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, the 71 that were going to judge him and finally send him off to Pilate, they asked him two questions. Are you... Are you the son of the Holy One? Are you the son of God? And are you the Messiah? Jesus says, yes, it is as you say, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and great glory. And the high priest tore his clothes and said, that is blasphemous. Why? Because Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man in the vision of Daniel, who approaches the Ancient of Days, who is given all power and all authority so that all people all over the planet would worship him. Listen to me. They didn't think, we're going to see Jesus flying back through the clouds during rapture. That's not what they were thinking. You know what they were thinking? He's claiming Daniel 7. He's claiming to be the one that all nations bow their knee to. Wow. That's why they said this is blasphemous. Incredible. Incredible. And Jesus then gives the mission for all generations. Here it is. Because I've been given all authority, Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to do something. I double-dog dare you in your Bibles or if you're taking notes, just write this. I I double-dog dare you to circle the four action verbs in there. The four action verbs. Could you do that quickly? The four action verbs, do you see them? I've highlighted them for them. You see it? One is go, correct? Another is make. Another is baptize. And another is teach. And if I were to ask you, what is the main action verb? And I've asked this before, and I've heard people respond verbally, and I won't do that to you right now, but I've heard people respond verbally, and, and many of us would say the main action verb in there is to go. Because we've heard this, many of us as Southern Baptists or evangelicals that want to share the message of Jesus, the main action verb, we say we got to go. we got to go to them to share the message of Jesus. Others might say, well, the main action verb there is baptizing, because baptism is important. And so we need to baptize people. And I agree, we need to baptize people because Jesus said so. And then some say, well, we got to teach them to obey the commands of Jesus. And all of those are true. But get this, the primary action verb. In that text is not to go, it's not to baptize, it's not to teach, it's to make disciples. You know how we make disciples? By going, baptizing, and teaching. My friends, my new friends, brothers and sisters, to put it another way, we could say that the mission according to Jesus is to develop disciples, get this, who develop disciples. And if your goal, if your view of missions is to give money to a missionary to impact people you're never going to meet, that's part of it, but that's not the mission. 
If your goal is to say, we've got to feed hungry people, we've got to impact people and deal with social issues, that can be part of it, but that's not the main mission. If you say, we've got to get people baptized because they need to be baptized, we need to get people to give, we've got to teach them what the Bible says, all that's wonderful, that can be a part of it. Listen, that's not the main mission. The main mission, and many of you know this, I'm sure, the main mission is to develop disciples who develop disciples who develop disciples. You know what a disciple is, right? I, I think the best definition I've heard is simply this. It's an imitator of the teacher. Jesus said at one point, he said a disciple will look like his teacher. That disciples develop disciples who develop disciples. Hmm. Would you just look at somebody and say this? Hey, the mission is developing disciples who develop disciples. Just tell them. The mission is developing disciples who develop disciples. That's it. That's it. And I've just changed this word, this word making, into developing because I think making in our context, we see that as industrial, making things and stuff. But this concept of developing, it's an ongoing process that we're to be involved with. Now, who is to develop disciples? Any good interpretation of Scripture, when it says you, he says you is implied, go therefore and make disciples. We've got to ask the question, who is you, right? Anytime you read Scripture, you need to ask the question, who is you? And so who is you? Who does this apply to? Who is to make disciples? And I thought we'd do this kind of a fun way and, uh, and see if this is helpful to you. Here's an example. Adam and Eve were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to do this with folks around you just briefly. I want you to answer this question. Was that command just for Adam and Eve? Explain your answer. Be fruitful and multiply just for Adam and Eve because it was given to them. Is it just for them? Explain your answer. 30 seconds. Go. Go. Come on, it's okay, you can talk in church, let's go, come on. All right, what do you think? Is that command just for Adam and Eve to bear, bear children, multiply? No, it's got to go further, because if it didn't, guess what? You wouldn't be sitting here today. This is probably one of the only commands people have willingly obeyed, by the way, since, you know... <laughs> All right, God, whatever you say, I'm on board, right? This is a command given to Adam and Eve, but it was a command that they gave to their children, they gave to their children, they gave to their children, and people fulfilled. And that's why you're here today, right? Check this out. So when the question comes up, who is to develop disciples? Is it just for the first century disciples? Answer this. If it's just for the first century disciples... Where would the story of Jesus end? With the first century disciples. No, they were to teach the people they discipled to develop disciples, to develop disciples. So get this, 2,000 plus years later, 3,000 miles away, in a different country, different types of people, different language, we are followers of the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful? I sure am. I sure am. And I want you to see in this text that, go back to the Matthew, there you go. Look at this, baptizing, make disciples of who? All nations. That word in Greek is the word ethne. It's where we get our word ethnicity from. This is not about touching every geographical location. 
is not about going to Iceland. It's about different types of people groups that were to impact different people groups. And the Jewish people, first, the disciples were called to impact people groups. Remember, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will be my disciples. In Jerusalem, a lot of people in Jerusalem were their type of people. In Judea, that's the state Jerusalem is in. And then in Samaria different kind of people group, and then to the, uh, to the other known parts of the world, the, the Roman Empire and beyond, right? Aren't you grateful they did that? How many people in here are, are, are Jewish? Any Jewish people? If so, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I would love to, be, to have Jewish lineage. I don't. Look at me. Do you know why, if you're a follower of Jesus today, because the Jewish followers of Jesus took it serious that they shouldn't just share with people just like them? Because you're not just like them. Adrian Rogers, years before he died, he had not been at the church long. He was welcoming some African-American folks who were joining the church. And his church was largely white, Caucasian. And he knew that there were racists in the church that were discouraging them from joining and, and such, and he stood up and he said these words. He said, anytime anyone is turned away from this church because of the color of their skin, you have my resignation. To which I would say, amen. Because look at me, the reason why you're white, the reason why you're Hispanic, the reason why you're black, the reason why you're whatever, is because God made you that way. You had no choice in it. And, and I'm here to tell you, that look at me, people who are different than us matter. And if the Jewish followers of Jesus didn't believe that, you wouldn't be a follower of Jesus today. How dare we, as followers of Jesus, who was Jewish, turn someone away because they're different? Man, the church, one day, is going to be from every tribe and every tongue and every nation when we worship together rich. That's what Revelation says. Amen to that. Hmm. Like Jackie, now you've gone to meddling. Yeah, but I get to leave, so it's no big deal. So you've got to deal with it, right? Look back at the text. Make disciples of all nations. Let me ask you this question. If you and I were the first century followers of Jesus, and he gave us this task, would there be followers of Jesus 2,000 years later on a different continent in a different culture with a different language? Whew. By the way, if we don't do what he tells us to do, our generation, what's going to happen? That's heavy stuff, isn't it? Hmm. The mission is developing disciples who developed disciples years ago. I was at a gathering where some pastors met together and ate breakfast. and Their building was old and they were renovating. They had renovated the worship center. And it, it, was, looking, it was looking nice. So I, I kind of took a, a walk around because I hadn't seen the whole place. And I walked and I walked to where their nursery was. And I looked in their nursery, and I promise you, the carpet in the nursery had to be there since the 60s. I mean, it was brown. It was nasty. There were toys in there that looked like the kind of toys that my kids broke, and I'd, you know, take to church, right? And my thought was, and I, my kids were kind of younger at the time, and I thought, I wouldn't put my kids in that nursery. 
And so what had happened was their worship center looked great, but their nursery was garbage. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? No young couple's going to bring their kids and drop them and leave them there and be good with them. They might have people who love their children, but their facilities are communicating, we don't really care. And so I walked away from that event, and that was it, and we continued to do what we did. But we, we went through a really um, dry time at, at our church. We didn't see anybody come to Christ within several months. We didn't see any baptisms within several months. And I began to say, God, what is going on? You know, are we disobedient? I mean, what, what's the deal? What's going on? And this memory popped back in my mind that I trust the Lord gave me. And it went something like this. Jackie, your nursery isn't ready for babies. Why would I send them? Why would I send young, new believers to a place that's not prepared, equipped, or passionate about helping young babies grow in their faith? Are you with me? I said, Lord, I'm sorry. We got to change that. We still got to change that. Our church has a lot of room for improvement. Yours probably doesn't, but ours does. I pray that God will use today's teaching in your life to light a fire under you, to say we've got to be about developing disciples who develop disciples. And parents, listen to me close. I'm a parent. I'm a parent of a 16, almost 17-year-old and a 12-year-old. You know what I'm realizing? The primary discipler that God's put in their life is the guy I look at in the mirror every morning. And, and my wife. The church is the second line of defense. I'm grateful that we've got people in our church who love our boys. I'm grateful that we've got people in our church that can speak truth to them when they're not listening to me about it. They'll listen to Uncle Jimmy or other guys in our church who speak truth to them. I'm grateful for that. But the primary disciples, parents, grandparents, the primary disciples God's put in your kids' and grandkids' life is the person that you look at in the mirror every morning. You go, Jackie, how do I disciple a kid? First of all, you got to live it in front of them, right? Hey, let's stop exporting the stuff that we're not doing, right? Stop telling people to do, well, do as I say, not as I do. That is the stupidest thing you could ever say in your life. Shut, shut up talking about that. He just said shut up. It's in Greek, I could tell you, but anyway, you just, okay. Stop telling them that. Start leading them. Hey, men, look at me. Look at me. Let's lead our young boys and our young girls. That our boys would look at us and go, I want to be a man like that who stands for what's right, who cares about people nobody else cares about, who's not going to be pressed into the culture's mold, who's going to love people and be truthful. That would be men that talk about a relationship with Jesus, look at me, that pray with our families. My prayer life has changed in the last month. is we just find out that my wife has breast cancer. You know how God's using this in my life. I pray when I wake up. I pray throughout the day. I pray when I go to bed. I'll call my wife last night. She was struggling. I prayed with her on the phone. When I talk with her today, I'm going to pray with her. 
You go, Jackie, you're a pastor. You ought to pray with your wife. Man, isn't this true? You might have prayed with your wife more when you weren't married than when you are because we're so stinking, we get so caught up in ourselves. I remember one night years ago, I'm laying in the bed, Tanya's going to sleep, and we were having a financial crisis, and I knew I needed to pray with her, and I knew that she was awake. And I thought I need to pray with her, and then this stupid thought flashed across my brain, and it went like this. Jackie, if you pray with her and you ask for God's help, she's going to know you're not in control. Newsflash, she already knows I'm not in control. My prayer life has changed. And I really believe the God of the universe could choose, and I'm asking him, and I would ask you to pray with us that God would heal my precious bride. Our church prayed over her last Wednesday night. We had 40 or 50 people showed up on a Wednesday night despite Awana and student ministry and such going on. We gathered around. We did James 5, and we anointed my wife, and we, we don't press God in the mold. We don't tell him he has to heal or abuse scripture to do it, but we believe that we pray, and we ask God to heal, and he can. I'm trusting that he will, and if he chooses not to the way, we're, the way that, that I would ask him to, we've got to trust him anyway. I don't have any other option. I'm a follower of Jesus. You know what I know? He showed his love for me and for my wife on the cross. And it's not my circumstances that say whether God loves me. And if you're sitting here today and your faith is like, well, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not, based on your circumstances. That is horrible theology. That's really bad. What if the apostles lived that way? Well, I'm being persecuted. God must not love me. Baloney. He told them beforehand, if they persecute the shepherd, they're going to persecute the sheep. You with me? We go through tough times too, right? We're going to die one day too, right? What are you going to die of? I don't know, but here's what I know. I hope to my dying breath, I will proclaim Jesus as king over my life. Men, we've got to stand up and be followers of Jesus who develop followers of Jesus. And you know what's sad? Is we've got probably a pile of women in this room that are doing that, and they're just waiting, and they've been praying for us as men to stand up and say, we will lead as servant leaders in our home. And we will tell people about Jesus, and we will show them Jesus in our actions, words, attitudes, relationships, and stuff. We've got to make time. We've got to open the Scripture. We've got to pray. We've got to talk with our kids about what we're learning, how we're growing. It's really simple. Talk with my son, Caleb. Caleb, here's what I was reading the other day, buddy. Let me show you what daddy's reading. Let me show you what God's dealing with me on. My son walks in, and I'm on my face in my living room floor, weeping and praying over my wife. My son walks in and puts his hand on my shoulder, and we pray together. That wasn't happening before we're going through what we're going through very often. Mm. One more thing, and I'll finish this up. Look at me. Again, you, you don't have to listen to me. I'm just a guy that's going to leave here, drive six and a half hours away today. Church of Jesus. If people in our community look at you and they see disunity among you, if they see that we say we love each other, but they don't see us showing that we love each other, they don't see us correcting one another, responding to correction because we know that we love each other, if they don't see us serving each other and not being the one that's in front of the line, we get in the back of the line, if they don't see that, then our culture looks at us and goes, we're just like you. Why wouldn't you need to change? Right? What could God do 
with the pile of people in here today. If we said we want to commit to doing it the way Jesus told us to do it. We want to commit to going to all nations to share the message of Jesus. We want to commit to not just baptizing them because we want them to get wet and walk through our tradition. No, we see baptism as representing the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the reality that we turn from our sin and we're made new in him. And then we're going to teach them, get this, teach them to obey everything Jesus taught. That means we need to be in the scripture so we know what Jesus taught, right? And then, get this, you know what the rest of the scripture says? And Jesus said, if you'll do that, he says, I will be with you. How long? Always. Wherever. Whenever, until the end of the age. And get this, even when you don't feel like it, he's with you. Now, I can't give you that I can't give you that encouragement if you're not about doing his mission, because this is tied to his mission. You with me? You say, Jackie, I've been a Christian since I was you know, knee-high to a grasshopper. I've been a Christian for a long time, because I go to church, been baptized, walked the aisle, get dunked, filled out the car, joined it, the whole deal. I don't give a rip. God doesn't either. Here's the question, are you a follower of Jesus? We ran into a lady named Beth the other day. You can be praying for Beth. She works at a local restaurant. I said, Beth, we want to pray with you. We're followers of Jesus. We think you're valuable, made in the image of God. How can we pray for you? She tells us, and then I turned to her and I said, hey, Beth, do you think you're a follower of Jesus? Do you say you're a follower of Jesus? She said, well, uh, I'm not following like I should. And I said, Beth, in the Bible, it's not a question of whether you prayed the prayer and did it just right and you know what you did years and years ago. Here's the question in the New Testament. Are you a follower of Jesus, right? It's not whether you're doing it perfect. It's whether you're getting up, brushing yourself off, others are helping you, you're walking with him. Look at Peter's life. Did he sin ever again? Yeah. Paul has to confront him in Galatians 2. You know, you get all this stuff, and he picks up, and he goes, I'm going to follow Jesus. What could God do with a humble, obedient, loving group of people that would share the message of Jesus and get this? Our goal would be to disciple our young ones that God gives us, whether it's age or just their spiritual maturity, and to, to disciple them and invest in their life. One of the guys that discipled me, helped me invest in my life, his name is Mr. Sonny. Mr. Sonny was an alcoholic. He lost his wife and lost his family. He was a big, burly, strapping guy. He was a construction worker, and what he liked to do for fun was go to the bars, pick a fight with two or three guys, and beat the snot out of all of them. When Mr. Sonny gave his life to Jesus, he called my pastor, and he called my parents over to his house because they had invested in his life, and he took every bit of liquor in his house, and he poured it down the drain, and he said, I want you to see that I'm turning from my sin, and I'm trusting Jesus with my life. I know of no man who loves Jesus more than Mr. Sonny, and Mr. Sonny could take any man in here probably still today. That guy loves Jesus, and he loves people, and that guy took me fishing and invested in my life and taught me in RAs and cares for me, and I'm super grateful for him. Who's the Mr. Sonny's in here? Who's the Miss Mildred's in here? Who's going to say it's not just about me? Who's going to say I'm going to take my time and talents and treasure and I'm going to use it to forward the message of Jesus and be about discipling people, developing disciples of Jesus, right? I want you to take your sticky note and I'll stop messing with you, all right? I want you to take your sticky note and I want you to write down these simple words I want you to write down this. Make disciples of all nations. Ellipsis, dot, dot, dot. I am with you always. There's more to it. Obviously, we've read the rest of the text. 
I want you to write that down. And here's why I want you to write this down. I asked our church to do this in 2013. And I asked them to take that sticky note and put it somewhere where you're going to see it often. We got pictures of it. And the next week I showed people in our church. I meant to bring it, but I didn't. But pictures and like some, someone put it around their speedometer. I'm like, don't you be blaming your sticky note because you're speeding. You know, don't do that. But people put it in their cars. You know where my wife and I put it. Many people put it. Some people put it on their fridges and such. We put it on our bathroom mirror right in the middle of the mirror. That thing hung on the bathroom mirror for three years. And every time I went to do my makeup, every time, every time, I saw this sticky note that reminded me of the mission that Jesus gave me and gave you. Make disciples of all nations. I am with you always. Now, here's the cool thing. Is I, I'm not going to be around here to teach you how to do that. God's put pastors and leaders in your life to teach you how to do that. That's their job. But you're called to be a disciple who develops disciples. And I wonder if some in here today would say, Jackie, I just didn't know what the mission was. I thought it was something different. Or I wonder if some of you would just say, you know what, if I'm going to be honest, I, I've just been really lazy. If, if I'm going to be real, I've just been disobedient to what Jesus has called me to do. But what if this week, what if this week, every one of us began to say, Lord, I want to be a disciple who develops disciples of all people. I'm going to trust you with me always. That's going to start in my home. I'm going to start praying with my kids, with my grandkids. I'm going to care for these children that I care for at church and share the message of Jesus. What could God do? Hmm. And lastly, listen to me. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, one of the pastors that I heard and I interned under for years, he would say this. He said, if you're looking for purpose and you're looking for hope, it's found in a person. His name is Jesus. And here's what he'd say. He said, if, if I could take Jesus out of my heart for five minutes and put him in yours, you'd never give him back. You'd never give him back. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if you've not turned from your sin, by the way, you're not a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus, they go, Jesus died on the cross for my what? Sins. And they say, I don't want to live for the stuff that Jesus died for anymore. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? And you might have talked yourself into, I'm a follower of Jesus because I've been involved in church and I know the Bible and all this. Listen, the devil knows the Bible. But what if today, what if today, you ask the Lord very simply, Lord, do I know you? Because if not, today's the day I bow my knee. I want to make sure that I know you. If you prayed a prayer like this, I believe God could answer. If you say, you know what, Lord, I need your help. I need your help to develop disciples. I don't know how to do all this, but I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Do you think God would answer that prayer? I think so. You know what many of us need to do? We need to go to another believer who's a little bit further down the road than us, who's more mature than us, and we need to say, I need your help. Would you help me learn how to be a disciple who develops disciples? Isn't that true? I just want you to turn to some people and say these words. If you need help, I'm right here. Would you tell them, if you need help, I'm right here. Wives are looking, husbands going, you need help, I tell you, you need help. Hey, guys, look at me. I, I, I've been on you, but listen to me. 
Ladies, this is true of you too, but guys, you have a great privilege. When I die one day, I hope my sons would save me. My dad loved me. My dad loved my mama. My dad loved people that didn't love him back. My dad shared the message of Jesus boldly because he actually believed it. And, and you know what? I'm a pastor, but if, if I were a plumber, I hope that'd be true. I hope that'd be true. Would you pray this with me and I'll turn it over to you guys, but would you simply pray this this morning, Lord, what do you want me to do with what I heard today? Would you ask him? What do you want me to do with what I heard today? It would be my great privilege. Certainly be your pastors on staff. They're a great privilege to help you today. Other believers in this room that you could go to who love you. It would be their great privilege to talk with you more about following Jesus. Just ask them. Just ask them.